precious Lord Jesus, we, with these songs, set our expectation of what will happen here tonight. We've set our day aside. We've set our work aside. We've pushed all the thoughts of the day and the week aside, Lord, and we've, we've come here to bring preeminence to you to, to, to with all of our lives, with all of our testimony, with all of our songs, Lord, as loud as we possibly could sing tonight to say that you are the preeminence, you are our priority. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for being our redeemer. We thank you for being our healer. We thank you, Lord, for being the lifter of our head and helping us through all the hard moments in our lives, Lord, where sometimes it seems like it couldn't get any worse, couldn't get any lower, but yet you're there, so kind, so patient, so loving, Lord. We appreciate you tonight. We ask, Father, as, we, as we've said this, Lord, that we, we've said as the heart, as the deer that's David would say has been wounded and has been a, given a fatal blow, and he knows that if he doesn't get to that water, he'll die. Lord, I pray tonight we come with such an anticipation and expectation, Lord, that we cannot leave here tonight the same way we walked in. With what happened Sunday, Lord, it's, we, we can't be happy with that. We can't be settled with that. We must have more. We must have more. We must have more, Lord. We must have more to live. We must have more to breathe. Father, we don't even want to take our very next breath, Father, without you fulfilling this in us. It is this serious in our heart. It is this, this so urgent, Lord. Help us. Have mercy on us. Forgive us. God, please forgive us, Lord, for misunderstanding. Forgive us for our faults. Forgive us for our mistakes, Lord, all the things that we've said wrong. Have mercy on us, Lord. Let us, as a body, not just fall in love with you, Lord, but fall even more in love with each other. Lifting each other up, Lord, encouraging and speaking peace and life to each other. Help us, Father, as your word comes forth just now. Your word is so great. It's so wonderful, Lord, that it, it changes us. And we are so grateful for this, Lord. This isn't some dead letter that we'll quote and preach from tonight. This is the newness of the Spirit. Lord, we're so thankful that you're alive, that you're real, that you didn't stay dead 2,000 years ago. Many, many reports were given that they probably took your body down and buried you in a shallow grave, and maybe some angels, not angels, but animals come up and ate the carcass, Lord, but that's not true. That's not true, Lord. I don't care what any scholar has said or any historian or anyone that tells that lie. That's not true because you arose. You arose for us. And you said because you live, we can live also. The only way we live, Lord, is by your life, by your mercy, by your grace, by your presence, Father. We adore you tonight, Lord Jesus. Speak to our hearts very plainly. Speak very clearly tonight, Lord. Give us more faith for the fight. Give us more strength for the journey. Make us more like you, we pray. 
We'll be sure, Father, at the close of this service to give you all the glory and honor and praise, Lord, for such a wonderful work of thy beautiful divine hands. In your lovely name, Lord Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. <clears throat> you happy to be here tonight? You still love one another? Not quite as loud. I'll ask you again. Do you still love one another? Do you still forgive one another? Do you pray for and build up daily one another? It's not loud enough. There we go. We'll, we'll, we'll stop the recording and we'll, we'll have a church, like a fireside chat if we need to work some things out. We, we, don't wanna, we won't make it very far if we're fighting against each other, if we've got hurt feelings. That's what the devil does. We told you from day one, he's tried to tear us apart. He's tried to destroy us. He's tried to bring all kinds of nonsense against us. Yet, like I said, Sunday night, we're still here. He tried again and he failed again. Guess what happens tomorrow when he tries? He'll fail again. And the next day, he'll fail again because the great and mighty conqueror beat him. I say praise the Lord too. Praise the Lord. Romans chapter 2, while you're standing, <clears throat> you appreciate the Lord and his mercy. You appreciate the promise of God to us. What we've been in our lives, and again, I say this all the time, it is no coincidence you were born the day you were born. It is no coincidence God has moved you all over this U.S. to be where you're at. It's no coincidence God is speaking to your heart right now personally. These are not coincidences. You're not here tonight just because happenstance. We heard the bell. We wandered in. We'll see what happens. No, God called your name. God called your name. And the reason for that is a very specific purpose. This purpose did not originate the day you were born. This purpose did not originate the day that you met him and gave your heart to him and, and accepted that marriage covenant. It did not originate that day. It originated before the foundation of the world when he said, you're mine. What would it do to you tonight to hear that voice call that out? What would it do to you right now? It would wash all the fear away, all the doubt and discouragement away. He's always loved me. Romans chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 14 and 16 to 16. I think tonight we're in part 19, carrying on in identified. We are identified in him. Identified in him. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature... Do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the mean, while accusing or else excusing one another. Their thoughts, look at that, their thoughts. Now keep in mind that in our day that an angel of the Lord met a prophet here, and he said that you tell them, their thoughts speak louder in heaven than their words do on earth. That he said their very thoughts, this is not a coincidence, that their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another, in the day, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God bless you, you may be seated tonight. You got a little bit of interference. 
Well, we got a lot of interference. You bet the enemy. He brings all he's got. It's interesting, the little things that, that he tries to get into, little things he tries to, to foul up and, and, and give frustration in. So if we, if we crack, if we pop, if we, if we, any of those things tonight, forgive us, try to push it aside and just remember that the devil's defeated. The devil's defeated. Okay, just we got to remind ourselves tonight. In this identification, you, and we say this a lot, but I want it to be very clear as we're studying in this rapture, because I believe that we are living, as I said earlier, in the rapture season. I believe that you are living in the rapture season. I believe that you are one of the most blessed persons to ever live on the face of the earth. Now, there are seven and a half billion, right? No, trillion, billion on the planet, trillion, whatever. A lot of folks. Is it billion or trillion? Billion. Okay, seven and a half billion on the planet. And maybe 1% of them knows what God is doing right now. Maybe, maybe 1%. I don't know. But you realize you're a very blessed person. And you think about the things that you love, you things that you hold dear, these things that you've took and you've, like Dave would say, I've hit it in my heart because it's, 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 Jesus it's a pearl of great price. Someone else sitting right beside you would think nothing of it. That means nothing. What's, your, what's the big deal? What are you so, uh, what are you so riled up about? Because I love him. It's worth everything to me. And the only reason that you feel this way is because you can, you, you can witness that identification between you and him. It's not just God, some great big spirit, this Elohim that's existed before all was and living there dwelling alone. It's not just that. But you realize that in him, in a revelation of him, you saw yourself. You saw yourself. You go back to Job and look at the question God asked Job, where were you? Where were you before the foundation of the world? When the sons of God shouted and the morning stars sang for glory. Where were you, Job? Job didn't have a revelation in the first part of that book. He did not yet understand. He did not yet understand. It wasn't until chapter 40, 41, 42. He said, now I know him. Now I know him like I never dreamed possible. I don't just in my flesh, but in my soul and in my spirit, now I know him. It's not just so much as say, I looked back here and I saw I had been stamped. I had been branded by Melchizedek, by Elohim, by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was not just to know that because your flesh can fade away. It could have been burned off and those things like that. But when you in your heart reached out and grabbed and felt that pull, that pull that says, that's me. Now, again, I say this all the time about how much I love the simplicity of the prophet of our day. He would say it like this, that a little boy would come from out living on a farm, being very poor, never seen a mirror his whole life. Never his life had ever seen a mirror. Goes to visit a relative in town. He goes upstairs for whatever it might be, rounds the corner, and there's a full glass mirror standing there, and he's shocked. He sees the person there. There's another kid in the house. And he stops, and he, he waves a little bit. The kid waves a little bit. He does all these things. Finally, it clicks. Mama, that's me. That's me. And as you read along through the word of God, which is the mirror, that you read along through that, that's me. He's talking about me. He did that for me. He's doing this for me. How blessed are people. How blessed are people. Now, back to being the, the beauty of the day that you've lived in. Not to discount the enemy. Not to discount the enemy. Let's, let's go over some of the things that he's done. He's had marvelous success. Marvelous success. 
explaining away the promises of God to every generation. That ain't for you. That ain't your name. That ain't belong to you. None of those things are true. None of those things are real. Marvelous, marvelous success. You would agree. Marvelous success in invading pulpits. Invading pulpits. Satan's always wanted to be worshipped. He's always been religious. And the seed of Satan has also always been religious. You track it back to Cain. Cain was a religious person. He tried to worship at an altar. His altar was very beautiful. Very, very beautiful. And Cain did not have a revelation. Cain tried beauty. Cain's seed still tries beauty. The most beautiful thing. The most beautiful thing. But in that promise that God did as he spoke, that your seed will will crush his head. It'll crush his head. That seed as it comes down through. And as that, he wasn't talking about Abel. He wasn't talking about Isaac. He wasn't talking about Jacob or any of the fallen descendants of there. He was talking about the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ, your husband. Now, as that seed would come forth and crush, that seed which would be promised, that one that Elohim set in the, the, the tent door one day and told Sarah, I promise you a seed. I'm going to come to you in the time of life. He wasn't just talking about Isaac. Yes, he's fulfilling that promise to her and Abraham personally, but he's also telling you, I, the Redeemer, will come and a way will be made. I, the Redeemer, will come and a way will be made. So as he's promising that, it wasn't just about Isaac. Isaac had to be born. Jacob had to be born. Joseph, Judah, all those down through there, working all the way down to the line. And yet he wasn't even of the same bloodline, but he was of the same promise. He would be engrafted in to that promise because God keeps his word. Always keeps his word. And as he engrafted himself into the king and priest line, engrafted engrafted or adopted it it could not be the exact bloodline because that bloodline was tainted that bloodline had doubt and unbelief and sin in it that bloodline was marked you had to go all the way back to the book of genesis and hear about a seed that would come and that seed would have no mark of sin it would have no mark of sex it would have no doubt no unbelief most importantly all of those things bring death so there would be no death in him. There would be no death in him. He would tell you like this, my words are spirit and life. My words are spirit and life. See, we all here read tonight the English language. You've read a thee before. You've read an another. You've read a you. You've read a he. You've read a him. You've read a those in other books. In other books, in other poetry, and other poems that maybe it seemed good, maybe it piqued your interest, maybe it seemed encouraging, but it was not the same as when you read those words here. It is not the same because they don't have a quickening power on those words like this does. And that's why you identify. I hear it. I don't just hear it. I don't just see it. I don't just understand. My soul recognizes an identification between me and him. It recognizes an identification. And that soul, that's why Jesus would make that statement that he said it would be so close at the very end, right now, the very end, that it would see the very elect if it was possible. The very elect if it was possible. First things first, you understand by the very statement that he makes that there's going to be something to try and deceive you. Okay, you're taking notes. Jesus, okay, first off, Deceive. Okay, someone's going to try to deceive me. Who would do that? The enemy. Okay, he's always done that. He still does that. Still keeps trying. Still kill and destroy. Still kill and destroy. Steal your faith. Kill your body. Destroy your life. 
Always is. Always trying to do that. Track him all the way back to the garden. Immediately putting death in. Death will take you. But you are living in a day, the complete fruition, the complete wrapping up, where all of death is wrapped up in victory. Swallowed up, it actually says. Death is swallowed up. So is this promise, and you track it down from every prophet, from every uh, brother and sister of yours throughout the Bible, and you see God lay that promise there, and God quickened that promise. God laid that promise there and quickened that promise, and they tasted of what was their part for their day. They, Abraham and Sarah tasted of that part of that, that promise of a resurrection. Abraham and Sarah, at 100 years old and 90 years old, their bodies were turned back young. They got a taste of the resurrection. They got a taste of death being swallowed up in victory, and then that, 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 that promised son come forth, and God kept that promise that he had promised them. But all along, you find in the very words that he's saying, there's something else coming. In that something else coming. If if he would have stopped and said, Abraham, look, uh, I'm just going to wrap it all up in Isaac and we'll all be good and done from there. Abraham would have said, I don't want Isaac then. I don't want Isaac then because I still left unredeemed. I'm still left unrestored. I have no way to come to you. You, you, you follow me tonight in that thought that, that God would walk that down through the candles of time to be able to bring it to a place where you would be redeemed. And what the redemption does, I, I never want to, to, to let you forget what the redemption does. You now have a way made to enter the Holy of Holies. You have a way, man. I know that, that that it's so easy for Satan to wear that out in your mind to make that seem like, yeah, no big deal. It's just a Friday night. No, the holy of holies into the Shekinah glory where you can take a dead stick found on the desert floor, put it in that presence, and it starts to bloom and bring forth almonds, bring forth almonds. Not even put back in the dirt. You would think that you stab it back in the dirt, pull life. No, no, no. Just put it in that presence. That's where you've been brought into. Praise the Lord. You feel special yet? Or are you just ordinary and normal? Not ordinary and normal. Not at all. Not at all. Turn over to Romans chapter 8 with me. Identified. Identified in him. Or a saying like this, identified by him. Tonight we can more or less almost word it as identified by him. It, it, it got warm and then it got cold, and, but it's still a bit warm up here at the moment. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we're children of the God. That's identification. That's a recognition. The prophet would preach a sermon called Recognizing Your Day and Its Message. Recognizing Your Day and Its Message. The proof of the Holy Ghost, the evidence of the Holy Ghost, is being able to recognize and walk in the present truth. In the present truth, it's not speaking in tongues. You might, you might not. It's not running and shouting. You might, you might not. But the proof is being able to believe that word and walk with that word and that word change you. Because you can have the actual baptism of the Holy Ghost every day upon your flesh and still die and go to a sinner's hell. So you see why it's so important for that word, that baptism of the Holy Ghost to change you. The baptism of the Holy Ghost is the Lord Jesus himself. It's the revelation of this day himself. And what's it changing you to? It's changing you into a perfect body where one day you'll rapture out of here. 
That seemed exciting to anyone else but me. That seems exciting to me. One day I won't be here. So you see, it's changing you. But if you are in a spot where the baptism of the Holy Ghost comes upon your life and you're just, and you, you, okay, I was there and I was in that presence and I felt that quickening and, and now I'm going to live my life and I'm not going to surrender very much though. Um, I got some things I won't let go. Uh, I got a few idols that I want to hold on to as hard as I can. Um, and I only partly believe him. You see the issue? You see the issue? Say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender all that I am. Let me walk daily in your light, Lord. Let me walk in your light as you are the light, and that light changes me. And again, importantly, about the light, it shines upon the dark spots. It shines upon the spots that aren't pleasing to him. He brings that to your attention. Lord, forgive me. I surrender that to you. Forgive me, Lord. you got to be willing to repent. If you're not willing to repent, you're never going to get very far at all with God. You have to be willing to repent. He said that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit. So who is the Spirit? The Spirit. You can almost go back to Genesis 1-1 as he moved upon the waters and upon the face of the deep, and he was shaping out the earth for a place for Adam to come forth on. That same one, that same one that on your day of, of, of your baptism, of your new birth of the Holy Ghost, of the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and the new, which is the new birth of the Holy Ghost, and on that day that your heart was quickened, it was the very same one that met Paul when he was Saul on the road to Damascus. It was the very same one that was in Peter and John as they walked up the gate beautiful. It was the very same one that quickened these words, the very same one that quickened these words that come out of Peter's mouth, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I unto thee, rise up and walk. If you've received the new birth, that's what's in you right now, that same spirit. Paul is telling you here in Romans that, <clears throat> that it will bear witness with your spirit. It bears witness. There's an identification. There's a recognition there. This that I have, that you're not wondering what spirits are talking to me now. No, I know whose spirit is talking to me right now. I can know because it always lines up with the word. There's never a contradiction there. You're not, he's not speaking to you and saying anti-word, anti-word, anti-word. Everything that he speaks, you will always be able to find it right back here. Otherwise, it's not the Spirit. It's a Spirit. There's a difference between the Spirit and a Spirit. There are millions, a minimum of 250 million demons, a bare minimum of 250 million demons. You understand that tonight? They would be in that other realm. They'd be under the other dimension. A bare minimum. You understand why I'm saying that? Because there was a large number, and there was also 250 million that were 200 million. 200, 250 million that was bound by the river Euphrates. Now, this isn't an actual, uh, the water was holding it down. It was a line drawn. It was a, it was a, a mark upon them where they were held almost like Satan is during the, the trip, uh, during the, uh, the millennium. They're, he's bound by a change of circumstances. They are sitting there longing to fall in and do all that they can, but they weren't allowed to step forth until something on the light side moved up. You understand that it progresses. Everything that the light does, the darkness tries to go with. Everything that God does, Satan's trying to be there right there with it. Right, right? Uh, let's just be very simple that in six days, <coughs> excuse me, and God bless you. Excuse me, I didn't sneeze. 
In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. Peter says that one day of the Lord is as a thousand years. So according to Peter, it took him 6,000 years to create the heavens and the earth. And I don't want you to ever think, well, oh man, he couldn't do it in less time. It, it's not, it's not a situation like that. It was his divine purpose. I believe with all my heart, it even, I'll snap just so you see me. It'd be a galaxy. It'd be many galaxies. And I'm just doing that, but he wouldn't do that because it just is. It was by his will, his very will. So as far as that goes, there's a purpose to the exact reason why he did it in 6,000 years. You understand that? I know a lot of people that claim to be Christians. They just, people struggle when it comes to believing the Bible. But the Bible is the only thing that's true. Not your college, not your seminary, not even your pastor. If your pastor's contrary to the Bible, he's wrong too. If I'm contrary, Sam Parker, to the Bible, then I'm wrong too. The, the Bible would explain that it's a thousand years of our day, a thousand years to be one day of his. And you also see the beauty of that statement as he's sharing with Adam, not Eve yet. She wasn't made flesh yet. He told Adam, the day you eat of that tree, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, in that day you'll die. So then Satan would say, the day they ate, they, they took, partook of the flesh and they had that sexual act. He said, you're going to die before dark. Make things ready. You'll be dead before dark. Day will be over then. Be, the day will be over and you'll be dead. Satan, you can't find even in scripture, Satan was telling him that. Oh man, you messed up. You'll be dead at dark. You'll be dead at sunrise. Whatever you want to compare a full 24 hours. No, Satan knows how long the time was. He sat before his throne years and years and years. But he never lived to a thousand years old. Adam didn't. You realize he never lived to one day. He said, the day you eat thereof, that day you'll die. See, the day of the Lord is very specific. The day of the Lord is very, very wonderful and beautiful. If you can get a revelation of what he means by the day of the Lord, in the day of the Lord, through the day of the Lord. And it's not just you're moving from counting thousands of years, but you're moving to a specific wrapping up of time. I said this to you many times. If God fills all time and space, do you believe that? God, your creator, fills all time and space. So if he was to come, people struggle with a second coming, where would he come from? You just agreed he fills all time and space. You said that. You agreed to that. That he fills, where would he come from? Well, he'll come from heaven. But he's in heaven and he's here. He fills all time and space. He's God. He's, he, he told, he told the woman at the well that God is a spirit and those that worship him can only worship him in spirit and in truth. So as you look at the, the, the reasons for each coming, we, we've got Easter. We're going to celebrate on Sunday. And that's, re, that's, that's, um, worshiping and thanking and, and honoring and being grateful for that first coming and what God did. And it's not as if he had been in some far off galaxy billions and billions of light years away and he shows up oh my goodness y'all need a redeemer no he knew they needed a redeemer he knew that he knew what adam had done it's not like you're right the day before adam messed up he goes off in some long track you realize that even in elijah's even in elijah's taunt you see the heart of god then elijah is telling those those prophets of baal he said maybe your god is sleeping Maybe he's on a vacation. Maybe he's in a conversation. Maybe per se, he's just far off and he hadn't heard you. That's the opposite. That's the contrary. Your God is always here. 
He's always, he's never sleeping. He's never on vacation. He's not far off. None of those things. He asks you throughout the scripture, am I a God? Am I a God? Or I'm asking you this, is he your God and he's a far off? And he asks, or am I up close? See, the scripture says he's real close. Closer than your arm is to you right now. Closer than your arm is. My arm's attached to my body. Closer than that than you are right now. So what will be the purpose for each coming? What would be the purpose? You understand the first one is to redeem you. The second one is to get you. The third one is to show you off. Talk about a testimony. Brings you back all raptured, all redeemed, all glorified. Walks you right in front of Satan. Satan's bound away for a thousand years and he walks you right in front of her. I told you it wasn't possible. You understand what I'm saying? Rubbing it and say, oh, made an open show. Rubbing it in his face. I told you it wasn't possible because I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Rage. How? Come in like a flood. He said, I guarantee it. In our day, as he would make that statement, because I live, you live also. You know God can't die. You know, it's impossible for God to die. It is completely impossible. Yet in a form, he did. Now, this is where people get tripped up. They want to strain at technicalities with the most technical person that's ever existed. You follow me? They want to strain. Well, you said that as Jonah is in the belly of the well three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth. But David said, I will not sleep my holy one in hell or let him see corruption. Corruption sets in in three days, 72 hours. So are they lying against each other? Are they arguing against each other? No. God said, it will be a total of three days, and that's what it will be. And you'll have people go up to him, no, you said 72 hours. He said, where did I say 72 hours? I said, I'll be satisfied. Who had to be satisfied with the atonement? You, your doctorate, your, your college, your professor. No, who had to be satisfied with that blood offering that was paid? Who had to be satisfied? Jesus said, I'll take this to your Bible seminary. No, he said, I go to the Father. Not a second person. I go to the hand, to the power, to the spirit, to the life, and I put that there because those words that spoke that said the day you eat there, that day you'll die, and I'll put it there and you won't die. He was satisfied. I, I apologize. I said that wrong. He's still satisfied. Amen. See, I tell you, he was. He like that was. But when you realize he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's still satisfied. And this is where people struggle with the coming that you live in right now. They understand as the scripture breaks that down, and those seals are being opened. Those seals are being opened. I don't have time to jump to the book of Revelation. You have the white horse. You have the red horse. You have the black horse. You have the pale horse. And I probably messed up the order. But each one of those, that's not God. That's the devil. That's the devil because Satan is only a tool in the hand of God. He's only a tool in the hand of God. Wherever he goes, where God snatches that leash, he snatches that leash. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And he leads it wherever it might would go. And in that point... <coughs> 
that this is what would be is he's unfolding these seals and those seals were hid away Christ. The seals, when they come open, they revealed Christ. So in that moment, you realize that it wasn't that he was to come from some far off place. God has always been here. He exists in a realm that we can't get into yet in this body. But what he did was, he said, is that propitiation will be made. And this is where people struggle. They think that the body of Jesus Christ is lying comatose at the right hand throne of the Father. A lot of people teach that. That the body of Jesus Christ is laying in a coma form because he must be there for the propitiation of sin. Sit at the right hand of the Father for the atonement. They t- people teach that. That sound ridiculous to you too? Ridiculous. It's the same person. It's the same person. See, Satan had marvelous success. He told you God ain't one, God's three. And if, if you're starting to draw away from the three, oh, well, he's not one, he's two. He's trying to steal your power. He's trying to steal that doctrine. It's not a doctrine out of hell. It's a doctrine from the Bible of the person and the attribute of who your Lord Jesus is. A.K.A. Elohim, A.K.A. Melchizedek, A.K.A. the I Am. Same one, same one, same one. A.K.A. the Holy Ghost, same one. Son of man, son of God, same one, same one. But each thing is a different uh, vehicle. I like to use that word vehicle because if I showed up, what you're not, I drove my dump truck. You would realize that my dump truck sitting outside is not a luxury car. It's not a luxury car. We're not going to jump in it and run to the northern Canada or something like that. You're not going to be comfortable. There's no cruise. There's no air conditioning. Wouldn't mind you go to Canada right now. But say furthest parts of Mexico where you need air conditioning right now or Florida or it's not a luxury car. It has a purpose. Its purpose, the purpose of the dump truck is to haul heavy things and dump them out. That's its sole purpose to get in and out of any place you got to go. You realize it's four wheel drive. It's not just to show up on the pavement and to dump out whatever your cargo is on the pavement. It's to be able to get out in the muck and mire of your sin wherever you got to go and get to you. Oh, no, you got to put God back in the box. No, no, he designed these things to get you wherever you were. That's why David would say, if I made my bed in hell, and God's like, what kind of vehicle do I got to make to go to hell? What kind of vehicle? Okay, I got that. Let's go. Why? David said he might be there. He went to hell for you. God can't go to hell. God went to hell for you. See, God is a paradox. And that's where that word is. In this human body, you try to wrap God up and put him in. He's this and he's this and he's this. You have no idea who or what he is. But that's this whole purpose. That's why you're living in the most beautiful and blessed and precious moment of all of history is because now you can know him, really, really know him. Not just from what your daddy told you, your mama told you, history books told you, but you can meet the author of that book. And it's always been, it's always been his desire to reveal himself personally to you. See, I like this. See, I I like to think about what it was like when he lit the sun. I say this a lot. I I, See, if it was me and I was going to create an explosion, my thoughts are a bunch of gas, something like that, and just chunk a match. And that's why I like things. You understand? It's quick. Diesel fuel don't blast like that. Oil don't blast like that. But with gasoline or a solvent or something like that, it's, it's quick ignition. And, and that's why I think about the day he lit the sun. Whatever that looked like. 
I, I couldn't imagine the atomic explosions and the chemical reactions and the, the, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine that. But all my simple poor mind can do is he lit the sun. You, you with me so far? And the day he lit it, the very day he lit it, he was thinking about you. They're going to need this. They're going to need this. What a coincidence the moon is, the, the, the earth is sitting in what they call a Goldilocks zone. It is in the perfect, not too close, not too far. Because you needed a certain amount of heat. You need a certain amount of life-giving resource. But you also needed a moon. You needed this for a light by the evening, by the night. You need all these things. Oh, that was just an accident. It happens. No, God had a plan. God are working this thing out. So you see, if he, and we have no idea. We haven't, we haven't, I can't even, you can't even say that we've not even scratched the surface of the sun and the moon because the surface is too big. You, you can't even say you, you scratched open a, a small file on the sun and the moon because it, its ways are past finding out because a master designer designed it. There's no body that can, they've been trying to recreate that um, in a smaller form, the fusion or the fission, whatever it is, all these years, and they can't do it. If they can, they can't do it at that scale. So I'm telling you, even that is so far not even able to scratch the surface of it. And he had a purpose in it as well. So in the purpose of, of what would God would do in your day, as Peter would describe it, as all throughout the New Testament, it would describe him as, he said, in that day, as John was taken forward into your day and allowed to see, in that day, he said, I'll come as a thief in the night. Has that what's been taught through church history? No. They said, behold, he'll come with clouds. He'll come down 10,000 saints, because of one, they think there's two and not three comings. They think there's two because they'll take what Jude says that Enoch prophesied and you'll take the other parts of the scripture and they'll say, must all these things be together? Why seek you? Why stand here? You say, why stand here gazing into the heavens? Don't you know that as he went away, he'll come back. You understand he's talking to Jews. He's talking to Jews and he's not talking to Gentiles. You got to understand the way that God has each purpose for these things. So if he's not coming back with you in the second coming, 10,000, thousands of his saints, then what will be the purpose of, and you understand the purpose is to get you to, uh, to help you make yourself ready, the rapture. His bride has made himself ready, but at the same time, he's prepared for himself a bride, a wife, without spot, without blemish, without any wrinkle or any such thing. You cannot make yourself ready by yourself. Who's had good success with that so far in your life? Man, I've just been, I've been hanging out. I'm the best Christian I can make myself. So you're still in filthy rags, basically. I'm in filthiest of filthiest rags, if that's what you're doing. But when he does it, now you understand he has prepared for himself a wife, prepared for himself, him adorning her, him designing her, him shaping her through all the fiery furnace of affliction, from all the persecution, from all the trouble. And at the end of the day, her character is as beautiful as his. Because he don't want your body. He don't want your personality. He wants your character that's been molded in the fiery furnace of affliction. I did not just say in the perfect, beautiful day of a picnic, the fiery furnace of affliction. Now, God would never leave you alone. He said, I will not leave you alone. I will come to you. First of all, he said, I'll send you a comforter. What was the purpose of the Holy Ghost? It was a new birth. It was a uh, to make you partakers of the new kingdom, to where now 
that seed that was there has been quickened and brought into a, a fellowship, a life with him. But even still, that's only part of the way. To just have the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not what God planned for you. Not just the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, please, too many people will try to water down and, and diminish the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I don't like that you said that. I don't like you're saying this. No, you've got to have it or you don't get in the kingdom. You gotta have it or you don't get in the kingdom. So it's kind of important. I know a lot of people say it's not, but it's very important. Who here's got the baptism of the Holy Ghost? You feel like it's important? Pretty excited about it. Aren't you, don't you wish someone didn't tell you you don't need it? Aren't you, aren't you glad nobody said, oh, you don't really need that. That's God don't do that no more. God don't, you glad nobody told you that. You glad about that. So <clears throat> the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul had it, Peter had it, James had it, John had it. In that day, Paul would say, because this is where other people they really struggle with. They say that uh, about your apostolic age, about the apostolic age that began on the day of Pentecost and what God imputed and, and embarked and allowed and endued with power there in that first church, which you still have access to tonight. Don't let anyone talk you off that. You've still got access to it tonight. Every divine promise that God promised, you have access to tonight. Anything opposite of that's a lie of the devil. Because you won't find it in the Bible. You won't find it in the message. So what God did, even back then, with where a lot of people say about the, the problem with the apostolic age is, they'll say that, that when Peter was there on the day of Pentecost, Peter was a, a spokesman. The other 140, it was 120, was on the upper room that day of those that were there, that that's when the Holy Ghost fell. And that's all it was. These are the same people that walked with him and talked with him upon the, long, uh, the shores of Galilee. The same people that held him, that touched him. And they all agree. We understand Peter did, James did, John, you understand, and so on and so on and so on. Peter, Paul would tell you, Paul would tell you that lastly, he was seen by me. Paul would tell you that. Paul wasn't in the upper room. You understand? I'm just trying to get some of you to track this with me. Paul wasn't in the upper room, but Paul said, lastly, he was seen by me. Paul received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul's life was changed. He was no longer Saul the killer. Now he's Paul the preaching life. And with such an, uh, with such, not just a zeal, but with an authority. With such an authority that said, if any man or angel that comes and preaches anything contrary to you, what I'm preaching, he said, let him be accursed. He didn't say, let him have a toothache. Let him have a bad day at work. Let him cheat on his taxes. He said, you'll be accursed if you preach anything different than what I, Paul, preach. Now, there was only so much available in Paul's day. Paul did have a revelation. He said about 14 years ago, I was carried up in the third heaven. I was there and I saw these things, which I cannot utter. <coughs> you know the Bible, you heard these things. And yet, even when Paul died, up to the day he died, he would say, I only, he said, now we seem as a glass darkly. But then, your day, but then, your day, you'll see him face to face. Paul was telling you, with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, with the fire, with the tongue, a fire over his head, that I only now in my day, in the current present truth for his day, in that Ephesian church age, he said, now I seem like I'm looking through that glass. But in your day, something's going to change where you'll say, I see him face to face. So what's different about your day? The son of man has been revealed. 
Luke 17, 30. Put that book down. Look at Luke chapter 17, verse 30. Even thus shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. What's the even thus? What's the even thus? He said, just like Solomon and Gomorrah in the days of Lot, in the days of Noah, they ate, drank, they married, they were given in marriage. And then in, in the days of Solomon and Gomorrah, you had such perversion where it wasn't that men were just happy sleeping with men and women sleeping with women. It wasn't, they were just happy with that. But as soon as some angels showed up, they wanted to have sexual affairs with angels. Absolute perversion. Absolute perversion. Does that look like the outside of this room? Out there in this world, absolute perversion. You, you found that in the Bible talking about why is it that the thing that's made speak to the thing that the one that made it and say, Why you make me this way? Why did you make me this way? How many people out there are saying, I was born a man, look at God, why don't you make me a woman? Who do you think you are? And vice versa. It's it's uh, it's unbelievable. It is it's it's purely insanity. It's pure insanity. Contrary to the Bible as can be, that doesn't matter. We'll rewrite that. And they have. They'll rewrite that and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. And they'll change it and change it and change it and change it and change it. See, that's what's called scoffers. Laughing at. Yes, your Bible might say that, but our Bible doesn't. We fix that. Hmm. My goodness. But in your day, in your day, he has stepped forward. He's left the mercy seat. This is where people get tripped up. Because if he's left the mercy seat, the door must be closed and there must be no more mercy. You don't understand the one that predestinates. You don't understand the one that's foreknowed. That even, no matter what time, like I said, I was born, let's see, 63, 80, 17 years after the coming of the Lord. 17 years. So by that thinking, then I was, then I, then I missed all the mercy. A lot of us were here, born after 63, it means you missed the mercy. No, when he said, I'm writing your name down, that I grant you mercy, and not only when I come will you have grace, but you'll have grace, grace. That's Zechariah chapter 14. He said, when the headstone comes down to the body, that's you. When the headstone comes down to the body, he said, I'm crying grace and grace. You're living in a day that you need the most grace there's ever been. You're living in a day you need the most grace there's ever been. You go out in that world every day. You're tempted and tormented and, and the, the enemy comes in like a flood trying to get you to fall every second of the day, trying everything he can to tempt you and to taunt you and to get you to trip, to get you to get mad, frustrated, irritated, all of those things because he knows he's got access to your body. He got access to your mind all day long. That's why you need such grace. Satan will tell you, well, you fail. You finally fail. You made a mistake. You sinned. You're done now. In my flesh, yes, but in his mercy, never. Amen. Never. So if, if he give you grace, do you think he'll take it away? That should be a resounding no. So then, if the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who paid the price, who redeemed you, who atoned for you, all of those things, which was the 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 the, the um, one of the beautiful things about the first coming is that he came and brought that sin debt. He paid that sin debt for you. So if that was that purpose, excuse me, still getting over some congestion, then it'd be done to a point. It'd be done and he'd be satisfied. Would you agree that he'd be satisfied? 
Do you think he'd get off the throne like you ever been a, a parent and you see your kid about to fall off a set of steps or something, you jump up and go running after him? It's not like that. You, you follow me? Your urgency. I see something going wrong. You're living in the worst state there's ever been. We must jump up and go early. Not him. You're not following my thought. The worst state there's ever been. There there's never was a time that you needed him more than right now. There never was a day that you cannot stand on your own than right now. Never, 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 never. But he would not leave that throne until it was satisfied. But once it's satisfied, which is what John describes, once it's satisfied, now you go for the next part. Redemption has two parts. Redemption has two parts, a coming out of and going into. Coming out of and going into. Revelation 3, which I always point it when it's dark. You can't see it when it's dark. Revelation chapter 3, at the end of the seven church ages, at the end of that time, you have him now on the outside of his church. Well, they call himself his church. He's on the outside of his church. And on the outside, he's telling them, come unto me. Come, un- come out of that thing. Come out of that dead thing and come unto me. Come out of that dead thing and come unto me. You're right with me. You're tracking me so far. Now, 1965, it's the rising of the sun. Brother Brown, it's an Easter message he preached in 1965. He said, now, in your day, a message has come forth that pulls you out of dark denominationalism and the pure, full maturity of the word has turned back again. A special. A special. So you're understanding the reason for the second coming. You're understanding the reason. And I've shared with you those threefold purpose of God since before the foundation of the world. It was one, to reveal himself to you. Part two is to gain preeminence amongst his body. When the capstone, the headstone comes down, Zechariah 4, I just quoted that to you. Gain preeminence amongst his body. And number three is, can you quote it with me, anybody? To restore his kingdom to its rightly position. To restore his kingdom. Everybody with me so far? You see in his purpose, you see in the reason why you're born the when you were born. You see the reason why you have the parents that you have. You understand the trials that you've had, the tests that you've had. God is looking for a particular sound out of you. Just like you're making a bell. If you were to make a bell, you've got a little certain flare. The way you make your flare, the way it bellows out in a certain way is dictative, indicative of what the sound will be like. And then the type of metal that goes into the bell is also very indicative of what kind of sound it will make. When you're looking for a particular sound, you build a bell a certain way with a certain material. When you're building a bride of this day, you build her with a certain way with a certain material. And this bride will only speak what he speaks. The prophet would say, you know his word, you have his word, and you know what he wants done with it. Let that sink in. You know what he wants done with his word. It's to argue with it. It's to dispute with it. It's to make me look bigger than you. It's to make you look smaller. It's to make me push you down and run you over. That don't sound like God at all. He always was the lowest of the lowest. Always was. Always was. We talked about earlier just a few minutes, well, however long it was now, that that Cain had the most beautiful and shiniest and prettiest thing. But Isaiah, and he's talking about the Lord Jesus as he's to come in that virgin birth. He said he's despised and rejected among men. There was no beauty 
whatsoever that you desire him. No beauty. Well, right away, you know, Satan ain't sending that guy. Right away. It is no coincidence. I've heard the prophet say this a bunch, but it's no coincidence why if you were to look at the women of 1900, zero, zero, and look what their prettiest woman of the day would have been considered, their beauty queens, their pageant queens, whatever it might be, compared to a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old girl of today, way prettier. Blow, her, blow that away. Even in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 50s, in the 60s, and you see something building, 70s. Satan's had marvelous success. Satan is making them prettier. Satan's doing all those things. Now, <clears throat> a lot of the times, they don't understand that in its way is death. So they put all the makeup on. They do all these things, and it, in fact, kills their skin. So by the time they're 30 or 40, they look like they're 70. So was it really worth it? So you had 10 years of what you'd call, you would call beauty, and now you're going to have 50 years of, what's the word for haggish? That's, that's mean, but Satan hates them. You understand that he absolutely hates them. Why would he hate them? Because God created them. He hates them with a passion. So he's going to do everything he can to destroy them too. All the while, tell them, hey, come here. I got you. You're beautiful, aren't you? You're pretty. Are you this? And now, that's all he can do. I shared that with you recently. He can't promise you healing. He can't promise you restoration. He can't promise you eternal life. All he can promise you is death and hell. That's all he can promise. But in God is only life. It's only life. So Satan's marvelous success. So it's not just in tearing down your life, your heart, your mind, your doctrine holder, whatever that would be, and then your heart full of faith to where that you look at that word and say, I was told it's not true. I was told this isn't true. I was told that isn't true. You think that's what God wants out of his bride? You think about a natural husband and a wife, a natural husband and wife that has a good relationship. And I'll say it like that because not everybody has a good relationship. Let's say a good relationship. And you would say, you know what? My husband told me that he's going to get paid on Friday, that he's going to bring home that check, and we'll get groceries after. And we'll be able to pay our bills, and then we'll be able to meet that electric bill, meet that gas bill, meet the gas in the car. We'll be able to do all those things, and, and we'll be able to make that thing, and it, it'll be done. Sometimes you have to spread that over several weeks, understand? But a husband promising his wife, I get paid every Friday, and we'll bring that check in, and we'll take care of those things. And then Friday comes around, and it don't happen. The next Friday come around, don't happen. The next Friday, she wouldn't trust him for nothing. She wouldn't trust him. But God is still there honoring and keeping his word. All day long, honoring and keeping his word. And Satan's telling you, no, we don't, no, we don't, no, we don't, no, we don't. But he still does. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest, it will always be. The sun will come up, the sun will go down every single day. And yet we still have trouble trusting God who does this every single day. I don't know how he keeps that sun in rotation, but I struggle so bad. He holds you too. I just said that earlier. He, he promised Satan. He's like, you won't deceive her. I guarantee it. So the purpose of his coming is to make himself known to you, to get you, to prepare you. Now, if this part purpose of the second coming is only for the bride, can, we, can you give me that much? If you would agree that that part of the second coming, because the rapture is only for the bride. You understand the rapture is not for the church world. The rapture is not for the unbeliever. The rapture is not for the make-believer. The rapture is not for the lots. You got me. The lots. Lot was the seed of God, but Lot was still a foolish virgin. That it's not for even the lots. Lot did not take a body change. 
Do you find the Bible where Lot had a baby at 100 years old? No, nowhere, nothing like that. No, because Lot was a, was a penny and Abraham would have been considered a silver dollar. So you understand it's only for the bride. The rapture is only for the bride. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> Did Lot know Elohim was up the hill with Abraham? If you know your Bible, you know he didn't. He had no idea. That what would it be? A mile? Five miles? 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles. What? I don't know. I haven't got my Bible map out to see how far Psalms and Gomorrah was from where he had his pitch in the uh, plains of Mamre, plains of Mamre, how far that would be. <clears throat> he had no clue. He had no clue. Lot, a seed of God, had no clue that Elohim was just up there on the hill talking to Abraham. He had no clue. If you were to have questioned Lot later that week and he's hiding in the cave with his daughters, and would ask him, so you saw the angels? Yeah, I saw the angels, man. Yeah, they was, they was real angels, and I saw the angels. And, and you have so many people, even in Brother Brown's ministry alone, to see God using him and God having all those things there. Oh, we saw what God did. We saw those things there. Did you see Elohim? Elohim wasn't there. No, no, Elohim wasn't there. It was just the angels I saw. But up the hill, up the hill Abraham was saying, he sat there with me, and he fellowshiped with me. And he talked to me about things that were about to happen. He told me, he said, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to destroy it with fire and brimstone. And what Abraham did was, what if there were a hundred righteous men? Would you save it? What if there were 50? What if there were 20? He was pleading, standing in the gap. What if there were 10? And Elohim was looking at his son and said, if there was 10, I'd give you that. I, I would spare that wicked and evil city because you asked me to save it for 10 men, 10 righteous men. And Lot down the hill, no, Elohim's not here. He had no idea Abraham speaking to Elohim would save his life. So was Elohim there or not? Do we need to go back and read Genesis 18? Was Elohim there talking to Abraham or not? Was that God or not? Was that the creator of heavens and earth or not? Was that Melchizedek or not? It was, but Lot never knew it. So in your day now, in the second coming of Christ, and he said, I would come as a thief in the night. Do you think the church world as a whole that doesn't claim the Bible, do you think they would know he's here? I'll tell you this, that 2,000 years ago, the scribes and the Pharisees that claimed to be the most religious people on the planet that had the Bible memorized had no clue who he was. They looked right at him and said, you're Baal. You have a devil on you. You're a demon. We hate you. We're going to kill you. Do you agree with their, their statement, their surmising of who he was? You think he was Baal? You think he was a demon? No. You have a different report than they did. They're looking right at him. You realize that even then, the first coming, when he came and redeemed all mankind for all those that would accept it, how many knew he was there? How many knew he was there? But I tell you this, regardless of what they thought, he still only come according to his word. Regardless of what they thought, if they would have just took the prophecies of Isaiah only, Isaiah 9, 6, Isaiah 53, and looked at that and said, well, they said he was virgin born. They said those things. No one else is, because you know, that was 800 years before that Isaiah made that prophecy. And when Isaiah made that prophecy and people are reading it like, a virgin will conceive? The prophet would tell you that, <clears throat> about that time, 
every virgin young girl in, in all of Judea and Israel, like, oh, we start making little booties, making little things, we're getting ready, because it might be me. It might be me. You never know it might be me. And you think about that excitement, a virgin will conceive, it could be me. I'm a virgin. I've not been married. I don't know a man. It could be me. Then time went on. A hundred years passed, 200 years, 300 years, 500 years, 800 years, and a virgin conceived, probably hooked up with a Roman soldier. That's probably all. You're probably just the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier, and your wife, your mama didn't want to admit to it. Do you think he was the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier? Why not? Scribes and Pharisees did. They told him over and over. Even the point where the day he died, they, they paid the guards and said, you tell them the disciples come and stole his body at night and took him somewhere. And the Bible says that rumor, that lie is reported among them today. Is this true? Have you read this in your Bible? Have you read that in your Bible? Could that not be true again today? <laughs> so if he would become, if he has come and he's here according to his word, do you think the church world would know it? Do you think a foolish virgin would know it? Do you think a person not yet quickened would know it? Because a seed of God is one part. But a seed of God without the baptism of the Holy Ghost is just, again, not to diminish this, just a seed of God. Your life's not been quickened yet. You, you're no better than a servant. You're no better than a servant. The Bible says you differ none than a servant until you've been adopted into sonship. And the Father, who gives you the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he steps in and he indwells in you. And now you've got that part where your name on the check is just good as his. And now you're set in order and ready for position. You understand the process. You understand the vehicle. You understand the avenue. You understand the way that was made to get you where you're at right now today. 2,000 years after the first coming of Christ, redemption has been made. All of that's been set up. God has run all these things down to the point where just so happened you were born in this same time, the day of the Lord. Just so happened. I'm being facetious. In the day of the Lord, of the second coming would happen in that advent, in that time, the consummation, the wrapping up of all the ages, where right before the tribulation, right before the tribulation, right before the burning, right before the fierceness of that cup of wrath to be poured out, right before, literally right before, you would be born. You would go through all you've gone through. You would accept the Lord. You would accept his message. You would believe his prophet. You would not worship his prophet. You would understand what God did through that prophet to get to you. And you would honor and reverence. Do you think Rebecca later on had a chip on her shoulder about Eliezer? I don't like that Eliezer. All he did was take me to my husband, who I love so much. No, she reverenced, she reverenced Eliezer. Imagine someone sitting around talking about Eliezer later. He ain't really a good guy. You're like, no, you shut your mouth. I wouldn't have met my husband without him. You see that respect. I love him. I appreciate him. I'm thankful for him, but he's not my God. And this is where other people go. Again, if Satan can't keep you from a truth, he'll push you off in the ditch with it. If he, can, if he can't keep you from believing William Branham was a prophet, man sent from God, the fulfillment of Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, and the fulfillment of Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, if he can't keep you from that, then he'll try to tell you he's deity. You're no different than John. You realize in Revelation 19 and Revelation 22, that same prophet, that same one is showing John all these things, and John tries to bow to that angel. And that angel tells him, don't do that. I'm of thy servants, the prophets. I thought you was an angel. I'm an angel messenger. 
The Bible, all this is very clear. So when God wrapping all these things up, God put all these things into place, all of those things that the, the word can be restored, the faith in the word can be restored because it does you no good. It does you no good for the coming of the Lord to have happened, for the seven seals to be opened, for all of these things to be taught, all of these things be brought and vindicated by Almighty God, and you sit there in your heart and say, I don't believe that. See, you've got to have the faith of it too. It's not just saying, I, I, that sounds good. I see it in the word. Yeah, I didn't know everything he says right here. Yeah, it's right there. Everything he's saying is right there. I'm reading the scriptures he's reading. I'm looking it back. I'm taking it back to the Bible all day long, every single day. And I'm not found one thing that's contrary. Not one thing in 1,200 sermons we have record of. Not one thing have you found contrary to the word. But if you don't believe it, what's it do for you? So the Elijah of this day is to restore the faith. Restore the faith. The Elijah of our day had three pulls. First pull, second pull, third pull. The first one and two was to catch the attention of the people. He did a good job of that. Hundreds of thousands of people were healed in that meetings, in those meetings, in that ministry. Hundreds of thousands. You realize that if that would have been done just, um, let's say, 50 years later, if God would have pushed that timetable back 50 years to start at 2000 with that ministry, you realize there'd be a country somewhere named Branham. They would be current currency in the name of Branham. There would be pray. Well, they did pray in the name, but you understand what I'm saying? Because of what God did in that man, they would have, everybody would have, they would have, you understand because it would have been blasted everywhere. Everybody on the planet, there would have been no place on the planet you could have hid from it. Video proof, video proof, video proof. But does video proof help you to believe? No. No faith. So, where you're at, that he stepped forward, that he stepped forward, that he's made himself known, and you believe it. You, you believe it. Can you explain it? Not always but I believe it. I've heard other things before that I couldn't explain. I did not believe. But whether I explain it or not, I believe it. Because that identification, that's something on the inside, I recognize his voice. And that ain't a man speaking. That's him speaking. And Because that man ain't got no access in here. But that, that, that I know him. And that's who's called me. That's who holds me. That's who provides and sustains me. That's my healer. That's my king. That's my maker. That's my husband. That's my Lord Jesus Christ. So did he bring about his purpose that you might know him, reveal himself to you? Are we up to that point so far? I know we're running out of time that he's made himself known and revealed himself to you. Is your testimony here tonight, I see him in the glass darkly? No? I pray not. I've done a terrible job as teaching these things to you. If you're saying, oh, we still see through a glass dark, I've done a terrible job. That is not the ministry. That's not the message of our day. You can see him face to face, face to face, and it backs up by the Bible. Every single word backs up by the Bible. Every single word. And what's beautiful about it, what that revelation does is it goes from just reading the Bible as a surface newspaper 
as to seeing the love story hid between every line. And the more and more closer you get, the more of him you see. And the closer you get, the more of him you see. And as he is, so are you in this world. Do you love that kind of identification? As I say this all the time, but what got John so excited as John walked through all those books of Revelation, we call it books. That's just him writing down on what he saw. He said, I saw this. I saw new heavens. I saw new earth. I saw the lion of the tribe of Judah. I saw the lamb standing for the foundation. All of those things I saw, and they're beautiful, and they're wonderful and glorious. I saw the seven church ages. I saw the four and 20 elders. But when I saw my name wrote on that book, Everyone under the earth, everyone on the earth, everyone in heaven heard me screaming, hallelujah, 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 glory be to God. Amen. Amen. Let's stand on our feet tonight and have your musicians come. I love him. I love him. I love him. I love him. I didn't get far, but I pray that God encourages your faith in that tonight, that he encourages that he encourages you in that. Because I'll ask you this, and I know we have a lot of different people watching. A lot of people don't understand the second coming of Christ. And, and I, I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't know nothing about nothing, about nothing. I don't think I'm anything. I don't, you understand, I'm not saying I have this great revelation, those things. I don't know anything about anything. But I'll ask you this. What if he is here? What does that mean? What do you have available now? I know a lot of people really struggle in this area. They don't understand everything that the prophet was taught, everything that was said. But what if he is here? What if he has done what he said he would do? What if he's still doing it right now in you? What if he's still revealing himself to you? They couldn't have been done before the seals were open. They couldn't have been done in the first coming. It can only be done right now in the Lord's day. This isn't called the day of the enemy. This isn't called the day of Satan. It's called the day of the Lord because the Lord is doing something in that day. What is he doing? Preparing for himself a bride without spot, blemish, wrinkle, or any such thing. And you would no doubt say like I do, I have blemishes. I have scars. I have wrinkles. There's a quote for that too. The prophet was saying in the church age book, the Pergamian church age, that those with the severe blemishes far outnumber those without them. But I'll tell you to you again, Zechariah 14 says that there's grace, grace. That when he washes you in his own blood, you find it in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, he said, I have loosed you from your sins, and I have washed you in, your own, in my blood. And when I look at you, you're perfect, spotless, blemishless, my wife. Give me everything else and wait. Lord, give me. I know it's not too late. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Say that again. Lord, give me you. Everything 
me Lord, forgive me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Everything else can wait. Lord, forgive me you. I hope it's not too late. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Lord, give me you. Oh, give me you. Everything else can wait. Lord, give me you. I hope it's not too late. Oh, give me you, oh, give me you, Lord, give me you, Lord, give me you. Didn't have to open my eyes. Put a piece of the behind. The age I was wretched and poor and blind. But then I see your name. Sir, we see that perfect face. message of grace. Lord, Lord, I thank you. And I just want to thank you, Lord. Your word, what have I done to deserve such glory? Thanks for that special when I saw you glory of a spot, came face to face with eternal life, and I think I see such a as the glory of the Lord, the rapture is guaranteed. Oh, I've heard about see. God in simplicity, the spoken word is the original seas, and Lord, I thank thee. Sing it with clear hearts. 
I just want to thank you, Lord, for letting me hear your words. What have I done to deserve such glory revealed in me? Oh, thanks for that special night when I saw your glorious light being face to face with Eternal love. Not for your rapture mystery, and now I see God in simplicity. The spoken word is the original seed. Oh, and I just want to thank you, Lord, for letting me hear your word. Oh, what have I done to deserve such glory revealed? I thank you for that special night when I saw all your glorious love came face to face with eternal life. Lord, I Let's bow our heads tonight. Dear Lord Jesus, we are so very grateful. We are so very thankful, Lord. That, that song says, not even in my wildest dreams. Lord, as we stand here and we're looking at your word and you're opening it to us and you're revealing yourself to us, we can say that again, not even in my wildest dreams. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of any of that, Lord God, but yet you chose us. You predestinated us to know it, Lord, to know you and to be known by you. It's a very personal relationship and way. We thank you, Lord God, for your mercy to us in our lives. We thank you for this grace that is so amazing and so wonderful, Lord, that there's no end to it. Whatever we would have need of, Lord, not to live a dirty life, not to live life half in, half out. But, Lord, there's times that we still would make a mistake, and your grace is more than sufficient. Father, we worship and love you with our whole hearts tonight. We pray, Father, as this word has come forth, that, Lord, that it would begin to grow in such a greater way than we ever dreamed possible, Lord, and 
as it grows, your word builds faith. Because we see clearly where we're at, who we belong to, who you are. And Lord, you said you withhold no good thing from us. Lord, you're the only thing that is good. You're the author of life and giver of every good gift. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Lead us and guide us in the paths of righteousness. We love you so very much. Lord, we're coming up on a, a, a time of an anniversary. Lord, we might not know the exact day of when it happened, but Lord, you come down in human flesh and you died for me. You died for my brothers and sisters. The most horriblest and cruelest execution of a sort ever has been. And I say it that way is because they did not kill you. They could not kill you. It was impossible, Lord. But you laid down your life for us. And we as your bride can so gratefully thank you, Lord, that because you live, we can live. Let us walk in that revelation. Let us live in that revelation. Let us constantly, constantly think about and remember, Lord, of all that you've done for us. Let us not be sad, not be discouraged, not be downhearted, not be depressed, but focus on your promise, Lord, and what your word says. This doesn't keep us from the furnace of fire. It doesn't keep us from the lion's den. It doesn't keep us from financial struggles or sickness of our body or, or hurting of our heart or loneliness. It doesn't keep that. But you keep us. We appreciate you so much, Father, that in every test and trial and tribulation we go through, you're there, and you never leave us or forsake us. And we trust in you, Lord Jesus. Be with my brothers and sisters as they go their separate ways. Keep them safe in their travels. Encourage them, bless their lives, heal their bodies, meet their needs. Lord, and let this word continue to go off like a Roman candle in their heart. Let it lead them, Father, from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture. And we pray, God, that you would illuminate your word as it comes across our path. We thank you for being so good to us. Bless us and help us. And we want to say thank you, Lord, once again, for what you've done in this service tonight how your word has gotten found good ground, and then their amens have watered that word, Lord. Thank you for your mercy to us. We love you so very much, and we appreciate you, Jesus, in your holy and lovely name. Amen. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Just to be close to you. Yes, my desire just to be close to you, just to be close to you, just to be close to you. Yes, my desire just to be close to you, just. Just to be close to you, just to be close to you, is my desire. Just to be close to you, yes, Lord. Just to be close to you, is my. Peace.
Son, I trust in the Lord. Oh, Jesus, Lord, I trust Lord. I want to thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, Jesus, yes, I trust on a thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being so good. Oh, I'm singing, Jesus. I trust what to thank you. If you want to thank him, just raise your hand. Just tell him how much you love him. I trust Oh, Jesus. I just want to thank you. I just to thank you for being so good. Oh, just to thank you for being so good.